want to thank you, worship team, for leading us to the throne of grace. I just love the lyrics of that song. Lord, may your praises ever be on my lips. Pray that that's our story this morning. I'm guessing for some of you, uh, like me, as you watch the news over these last few weeks, your heart's just been broken, been devastated by seeing the, the, the things that have happened in our nation, and, and we grieve in so many ways as to what's been happening. There's this, this fantastic verse in God's word that just keeps coming to my mind over and over again, and I just want to remind you of this powerful truth this morning, that he has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's my prayer this morning. There's a wonderful pastor that had a real significant influence in my life, Dr. Tony Evans, and he says that, that we don't necessarily have a skin problem, but we have a sin problem in our nation. And I join him in that. And I want to ask you to join me in praying for our country, praying for our leadership, praying for deep wisdom, for us to know how to respond appropriately to what's going on around us. And I know at the core, one of the things that we have to do is to know how to weep with those who are weeping and also to be committed to representing the loving kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads together with me and to Join me as we pray for peace in our nation and for God's will to be done in our lives. Lord, I confess this morning that my heart is extremely heavy. It's, it's broken this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would help each one of us to see every human being in the way that you see them. Lord, I pray that you would break my heart for what breaks yours. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, let us not merely say that we love one another, but I pray that you would give us the strength to be able to, like you say in your word, to mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those who weep. Lord, I pray that your justice would roll like waters. Let your righteousness and love flow out of us as a church, like living water. Lord, we ask that you would purify our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with a genuine hunger for justice, for mercy, and for true peace. Lord, we pray that you would allow justice to start with us. I pray, Lord, today as we as a church family have gathered together to sit at the feet of your word and to learn from it, that we would be people that still not only hear your voice, but it moves us, that it moves us to places of comfort to places of discomfort, that, that you allow us to be people that, that choose to submit to what you want to do in our lives more than what we want to do with our lives. And so this morning, I just want to thank you for Hope Church. I want to thank you for the Hope Church family that has been so resilient through every step of this process, that, that each individual that's in our church family, you know them perfectly, you know them by name. And, and we've even heard deeply encouraging stories of individuals who have chosen to take the next step in their life of seeing what it means for you to be the most important thing about them. I pray that would happen again this morning. I pray 
that you would be at work. And, and Lord, I just thank you for your word. As I've studied this passage this week, it has been so meaningful for me personally, and I pray it would be the case for our church family. Lord, I want to be a person that even in the midst of great pain, that I am able to respond with the kind of joy that represents the very joy of the Lord. Would that be my strength? Would that be all of our strength today? Would we not grow weary in doing good, but would we be ambassadors for peace? We love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. We ask that you'd be honored in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hope Church family, I have a favor to ask of you. I want to encourage you to head over to our website at hopebrunswick.org and to uh, see something that we're encouraged by, and that is that we're looking forward to a week from today to be able to provide a live option for individuals to join and worship with. And it's one of the many options that we have. We're so thankful for our tech team that has provided some great options for us in worship and our worship team that works hard to bring us to the throne of grace. And this morning, we're we want to encourage you to take some time after the service to see what the different options are that we have, and then for you to see some of the details about our planned reopening next Sunday so that you can make an informed decision as to whether it's the right time for you to return to church physically or not. And we want to say this as clearly as we can, that there's no judgment in the midst of all this. For some, uh, you are like many people that I know and love, and you are saying like, church doors are open, I'm there. And uh, we, we strive to represent the loving kindness of Christ here. We love our church family, and we recognize that for some, this just isn't the time for them to return to fellowship together. And I believe that we can still fellowship, praise the Lord, like we're doing this morning in our unique places of worship. And we're excited to be able to anticipate providing more options for you to do so. So thank you for doing this this morning. I hope you're with your family. If you're not with your family, grab them and grab your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter five. We're gonna study a deeply encouraging passage of scripture. And what we're gonna see is that in the church, there was this tragedy that took place. It's actually a really sad portion of the history of the local church where, where there's complaint, there's discouragement, there's people who felt underserved in the body. And what ended up happening historically is that God works in and through the leaders to adjust and to allow themselves to respond with grace. And at the end, what we see happening is by them getting it right, by them being committed to the right things, what they ended up experiencing was the blessing of the Lord. So the title of the sermon this morning is Dedicated. And I have to be quick to share with you that I have the tendency to get dedicated to things that aren't always the best things to be committed to. In fact, in our house, we, we bought our house several years ago, and there was no great place for me to put my lawnmower. So I um, asked my sweet wife, Allie, hey, can I go and buy a shed? And, uh, and she was quick to say, oh, we can't quite afford it. And so, and then I said, well, can I build a shed? And she said, well, we can't quite afford it. And then I said, well, can I uh, go and find a free shed? Well, that's what I did. I went on Craigslist to found this free shed. And I'm not even quite sure if she said yes, but uh, rented a trailer. And the catch, there's always a catch, right? The catch was that I had to get this off of this person's property within a day and um, let's just say it went okay, and I ended up getting at least half of a shed on a trailer, got it to our 
home, and then I had no idea how I was going to get it off the trailer. It's dark. It was a, it was a, a mess. But, but I finally got it off. It involved deflating the tires of the trailer. Long story. But I, I got that thing halfway off, off the trailer and halfway in my driveway. And then I didn't do anything with it for a long time. In fact, uh, we, we felt like we uh, made a name for ourselves with our neighbors over the next few months. And um, Allie finally did something that was, I think it was appropriate, but it kind of cut me deep a little bit. And it was, she said, Sean, if you don't do something with that, with that shed, I'm going to have to call somebody and have them finish it. Well, that was like a death nail to me. So uh, what ha- the problem with the timing on that was I was getting ready to go on a missions trip to Peru the next day, uh, but decided I was going to take it really seriously. Didn't sleep the next night. It was a nightmare, the story, but it worked. Um, We now have a shed, and I would say to you this morning, it wasn't a free shed. It it cost a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to make that happen. And it's funny for me when I think back about that. I'm embarrassed to even think back about the story because I really didn't commit myself to the right stuff. I I should have been spending those days right before we took off just with my family, should have saved up the money, bought the shed when I needed to. I should have just listened and respected my wife, but instead... I found myself persistent in something that really wasn't the best thing. I settled for something that was good, and it ended up not being what was best. And this morning in God's word, what we're going to see is that the disciples had committed themselves to doing the best thing. They had other options that were okay. They had other things that they could do. They were actually really important things. But I think what's going to be helpful for us this morning is that we're going to see that they were not the things that God was asking them to do. And they were so filled with the Spirit, they so understood their calling, that they were able to look at something that was a really good thing, and they were able to say, no, we have to commit ourselves to the best thing. So I want us to catch a verse that we looked at briefly last week in Acts chapter 5, the last verse in verse 42. It's helpful for us to remember the verse divisions, the numbers in your Bible, they were were put in after the fact when God's word was translated. And so I think that this verse connects directly to the passage that we're studying today. It says this in Acts chapter 5, um, verse 42, and every day in the temple from house to house, they, that's the disciples, did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Last week, we studied the persecution. Individuals are telling them to stop, that they actually beat them. And the church continued to grow in their confident response to that. And then in, in chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. Now, now, in, now in these uh, days, when the disciples were increasing in number, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, mostly Greek, non-Hebrew speaking believers, they arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. And they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And we want to catch this. They're not saying that ministering to these, these individuals was a bad thing. They're just saying, we have to prioritize what God's calling us to do. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. In verse four, then it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and then to the ministry of the word. 
And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicor, and Timon, and uh, Primenaeus, and Nicolaus, and a proselyte of Antioch. And they set before the apostles, those, those names are all Greek names. These were all individuals that were a part of that Hellenist group, that they were a part of the solution. They were selected from there. And it says in verse six, and these set before the apostles and they prayed, they laid their hands on them. In other words, they committed them to ministry. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, you might not have caught it as we first studied this, but it's important to know that this was a tough time in the history of the church. People were, it literally says in the text, they're complaining about feeling underserved by the disciples at this point. They, they want something more. And, and as we study this together, I think it's really important for us to accept that even in the earliest stages of the local church, that, that there were things that they had to continue to get better in, that they had to develop in. And one of the things that we see in the text that's really subtle but really important is that we see that the leadership in the church grows during this time, that it multiplies. This is the first time in God's word that we, uh, in the book of Acts, that we see the word disciple. Uh, and, and what happens here is that we see this in the text where it goes from multiplication of discipleship to, of disciples to many disciples here from the beginning to the end of the passage that we studied. And, and what we see in this time period is that as the church grew, its leadership had to grow as well. And, and what's so helpful for us is that this really worked out. You, you might have noticed it in the text. It said that the people were happy with how it all panned out. And, and instead of the disciples deciding that they were going to sacrifice their sleep, stop, stop doing these other things that were really important, what they committed themselves to do was to prayerfully appoint more leaders to join and to participate. And what ended up happening in that process is that the people that were precious to God, that were a part of the church family, were blessed in such a way that they never could have been if the disciples hadn't chosen to give this privilege to someone else. So they, they grow in number as they make converts, and they also make disciples. It's interesting in God's word when we think of the great, the great commission that we were, are to go and to make, not converts, but in Matthew 28, to go uh, to go and to make disciples. I mentioned earlier, this is the first mention of the word disciple. And that word is something that is familiar to us. But in those days, when they would have heard these words, they would have understood that this was a devoted person that committed himself to following someone else, that they're a devoted, fully devoted follower. And here, these disciples are increasing. We see that in verse one. In verse seven, it says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So here, there's an increase in leadership that's happening that's able to accommodate this multiplication growth that was happening in the early church. I love this, this idea that, that as these leaders were coming up against real challenges in the local church, instead of only solving them themselves. They entrusted the leadership to the hands of other faithful individuals. It's subtle in the text, but it's really clear that the emphasis was on the character of those who received this privilege and this responsibility. 
They understood one of our values here at Hope, that they were stronger together, and they made the intentional step of adding qualified leadership to the church. Um, under this, this main point, is, as the church grew, its leadership had to grow as well. One of the things I appreciate is they maintained their God-given priorities. Their message that they were sharing was a powerful one. It was a spirit-filled message, but it was powerful as well because of their commitment to prayer and to studying God's word. I have had times before when I stood up in front of people and just realized that in preparation for teaching, the privilege that God gave me to teach someone, that I hadn't done this well enough, that I hadn't taken the time to really pray and to study God's word in the teaching process. And it's embarrassing how different it is when you choose to make this priority. And, and this morning, as we look at this passage, and I see this from this, this, this temptation that was so natural for the disciples to get distracted by the good things. You, you may not know this, but there's this, uh, this, this um, uh, a website that's out there. It's called Sermon Central, and it has sermons that are on it. And somehow, someone put me on the list, and every Saturday, right about two o'clock, I'll get an email, and it'll be a full sermon. And I always thought that was so fascinating, but, but what, I, what I, I thought about is that it's one of those things that might just be a temptation for someone who hasn't done the work to say, ah, I'll just preach someone else's message. The, the disciples said, it's too important for us to get this right, to be committed to sharing the message of hope of the gospel, the truth of God's word poured through our life experience that they committed themselves fully devoted to preaching God's word through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through their dedication to prayer and their dedication to God's word. It said at the end of chapter five, verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. When we see in the text that, that there were individuals that felt underserved, it's important for us to note that that ministry wasn't a lesser responsibility to care for the widows and or to care for the, the widows that felt underserved. It wasn't called unessential. But what they were saying is this is what God has asked us to do. Something that that has stood out to me in pastoral ministry is that I think as Christ followers, we're all asked to do many of the same things, to be compassionate, to share the gospel, to love others, to administer truth in the ways that we can. And I think when it comes to our calling in many ways, it's that God's asked us to emphasize different things in our focus. And here, the disciples were asked to emphasize the truth of teaching of God's word and to invest in prayer. It doesn't mean these other leaders like Stephen didn't need to know how to do that. In fact, Stephen's an amazing leader. We're going to see next week his his ability to communicate God's word, his humble submission to God's leadership in his life. So this wasn't a question of him being a godly man or doing something important. It was just that the disciples were asked to emphasize something different. Generally, Christians, I believe, are called to do the same things, but this was a matter of prioritizing what God was asking them to do and the gifting that he had given them in their lives. I love a little book written by Charles Himmel called The Tyranny of the Urgent. In, the, in that book, he, he says, if God, uh, God's given all of us 24 hours in the day, but uh, if he changed that, if he gave us another 12 hours in a day, uh, he guesses that we'd find a way to fill it. And 
I think that's really true in my life, that there's just this, this sense of needing to do everything we can in a day. And, and in that book, he says this statement that I find very helpful. He says, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important things. I think that's a great statement. And, and I think that the disciples could have been tempted to do that on that day. They could have been tempted to, to choose to, um, to ignore what God had asked them to do specifically to do something else that was really good and important. But instead, what they chose to do is that they dedicated themselves to prayer and to um, the teaching of God's word. Uh, that word dedication uh, that's in the text is an important one. It literally means to attend constantly. I love the story of, uh, I love the image of a guard that's, that's constantly on, on duty, that he's, he's paying attention. I love the image of the person that's constantly vigilant. We were, we were at a pool party uh, with some friends and um, I, my wife wasn't dressed in a bathing suit and out of the corner of my eye, I see her kersplash into the pool. I had no idea what was going on. And what it was, was that one of our girls had slipped into the pool, wasn't supposed to be swimming, didn't know how to swim. And, and Allie uh, paid attention, got in there, took care of it. And, and it was incredible. She was constantly vigilant on that. And uh, obviously it was pretty important. In our lives, there's a calling for us to be people who are devoted, that we're dedicated, that we devote ourselves to the right thing. And as these leaders were committing to serving the Lord, they grew in their leadership capacity as well. It's beautiful in the text in, in verses five through seven that we see that they, they were individuals who took, uh, understood that character is way more important than just competency. It, it says in verse five, and they, what they said, uh, I'm sorry, let's go back to verse three. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. For some of you, we might say, that sounds like overkill for someone who's going to care for widows, but they just understood that this wasn't just about waiting tables, but this was ministry. This was the privilege of ministry. And in an individual who's going to be representing the name of Christ was an individual that needed to have these, these statements as full of the spirit and of wisdom, of good repute, that they have a great reputation. It says in verse five, and what they said had pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen and these other men. And then verse six, and they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. This this was a time period where they're choosing to say, these men are gifted. They're called to represent the love of Christ. They, uh, specifically in the text, they needed to have a good re reputation. They needed to be under the Spirit's control, full of the Spirit. And they also needed to be wise, full of wisdom. I think these character traits are essential for an individual that wants to represent the name of Christ. I think these individuals with this high standard remind us that ministry is a privilege, not something that um, God needs us for. That we stand up and we see the privilege of being associated with his namesake. I love that their capacity as disciples and now with these added men, it, it increases. Their care for others increases. In the book of Exodus chapter 18, 17 through 21, we get this great glimpse into a time in the life of Moses where he was 
uh, overworked, he was stressed, he was representing the love of Christ, or he was representing the love of God in that context, but he was a judge sitting in leadership. And there's this great statement that his father-in-law ends up saying to him is he says, if you keep up this pace that you're going to wear yourself out and you're going to wear everybody else out as well. And so we, we get this great glimpse into what it means to delegate. And here the disciples embody this, this idea that they're going to entrust the ministry of God, the work of God into others. And so this caring for widows wasn't a lesser role, but instead what it was was the ability for them to show that they were going to care for the entire body of Christ and they were going to do it dil- diligently, deliberately, and they were going to make the steps that they needed to in order to care well for the body of Christ. You know, this, this passage really encourages me that um, something that I think we all know, I know you know this about Hope Church, and that is that the church really is a work in progress. The, that even in its earliest stage, even when things were going great in the local church, they, there were some things that they had to adapt to. And that's one of the things that, as I, I see this, I see that they showed the ability to continue to say, hey, we got to get better at this. we got to grow in this. And, and as I look at Hope Church and I look at what God's doing in and through us, even in the season that we've been in, and I see that there have been some things that have been exposed, some things we have to get better in, things that I want to pray that God develops in us to be better at reaching the needs of our community, to allow, like I prayed earlier, that our hearts would break for the things that break God's heart. And I just, I just think it's essential that we see here that, that they understood that, that the church wasn't just the disciples' work, but instead what's happening here is that they're understanding that the church is all of our work, that this is our privilege to not just attend an event, but to be a part of what God's doing in and around the world. And so in this context, they added to their leaders. The, the growth of the leadership of the church allowed them to be able to establish themselves, to reach and to invest and to lead more people. And here, there might have been a racial barrier. There might have been a physical barrier. There was a language barrier that was associated with this. Uh, the Hellenists didn't speak Hebrew. And, and so there's, there's this, this obvious natural division that's taking place in the church. And, and instead of ignoring it, what they chose to do is they chose to work towards fixing it. When I look at what's broken in our society today, I think there's things about this that we need to take seriously, that we need to recognize that there's brothers and sisters in Christ that desperately need us to not just ignore what they're going through, but to take it really seriously. So here, that's what happened in the early church. These, these leaders were individuals that were, there was a multiplication of leadership that, that helped the, the church family to grow. And, and when I see this, it encourages me also to think about the fact that for some, when they see what's broken in the church, they see it maybe from a distance or um, they, they will uh, interact with someone who is claiming to be a Christ follower. And they'll say, you know, I want nothing to do with that. Or they'll, they'll kind of from a distance say something that's harsh. There's a, a book that uh, the title of this book caught me. Uh, Christians are hateful hypocrites and other lies that you've told, been told. And the author of this book um, encourages me because he, he goes through some of the things that are common portrayals of Christ followers and, and he kind of dismantles them and he talks about what it looks like to really see the love of Christ in action. And I think for some of us, we, 
would allow ourselves to see something that's broken in the church and we give it uh, as an excuse for why it's kind of an exit ramp for us. I, I don't need that. I don't want anything to do with that. And you notice in the book of Acts chapter six so that we've studied today that in fact, the opposite is what happened. That the, the, the commitment wasn't to flee the church because it had an issue, but instead just the opposite, that they dove in, they got involved, people who were some of which impacted directly by what was happening, that they, they were um, encouraged, they were equipped, and they were called to be a part of the solution. I think that that's essential for us today. I think it's essential for us to say, when we see something that's not perfect in the church, that we find ourselves saying, how can I choose to be a part of the solution? I see in this text as well, uh, this, this truth that unity comes at a cost for them. It was a big one, but they maintained fellowship even when it was under great pressure. And, and just the leadership application, I think for all of us, in some ways we've been called to lead and we've also been called to follow. And in a leadership principle that flows out of this is that we have to be people who understand what it means to maintain the right priorities. The, the big idea this morning is that we keep the main thing the main thing, that we consistently say that we're going to make the best thing the thing that we're committed to, not just the good things. And I want to ask you this morning to consider in your own life these questions that I found to be helpful for me. What, what is it that happens in my life when I choose to neglect my priorities. In this case, they could have neglected prayer, they could have neglected studying God's word for other things, but when you've seen that in your life, what happens? I'll just share with my own life. I, I know the way I treat my kids, my, the way I respond to my wife, I, the way I interact with the world around me when I'm choosing to keep the main things, the main things, and I know how I react when I am not choosing to do that. The follow-up question to that is, what has God asked you to prioritize in your life right now? I'm praying that God continues to raise up leaders at Hope Church. On the horizon, I think God's going to do something really significant in the area of smaller groups at Hope Church, smaller, meaningful communities that are essential to us maintaining intimacy as our church grows and as we strive to do life together in order to do that, it's going to require people who say, I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to take this step of leadership. I'm not going to wait for someone to pursue me, but I'm ready to pursue. The, the second question uh, this morning is what, in what areas of your life has God asked you to lead? And uh, in what areas in your life has God asked you to be led? I really believe this. this applies to me. It applies to Pastor Jen, all of us that we're people who are leaders, but we also know that God has called us to be led as well. And I, I want to ask you to ask, God, what do you want me to do next? I, I love to say the statement, I think the Lord cares more about me figuring out his will than what I do. And I, and I want to join you in praying that you know what God's asking of you. The third question is, what would it look like for you to become a disciple maker? I think that there's, there's this recognition that in the early church, they didn't just make converts. They weren't just attendees. They weren't compliant members of a church. They were actually disciples and they were followers of Christ and they were committed to making disciples. And the, the time span that went from the early church, from the, the point that it was born at the point of Pentecost to, to now, it wasn't a long time period 
And already there's a multiplication, not just of people who've come to Christ, but there's a multiplication of leadership. And, and I pray that that continues to happen at Hope Church, that we, we grow in our capacity to fulfill the Great Commission, not just in seeing people come to Christ, but that we see ourselves fulfilling the commandment to, to make disciples. And so this morning, as we look at a time period in history where they really got it right, it seems like they responded well. They didn't ignore those who were being neglected. They recognized it as a challenge, but something that was solvable. I want to pray for you in the midst of this time period in our history that you would be a person who finds yourself not just being committed to doing good things. I think we can fill our day with good things, but that you find yourself saying, Lord, what are you asking of me today, this Sunday? What are you asking of me over these next few hours? How do you want me to represent your loving kindness to a world that desperately needs it? And I'm going to ask you to join me in praying that prayer humbly before the Lord. Lord, what do you want? What do you require of us today? Lord, we love you. And I thank you for the leadership of the church that showed that it wasn't so proud that they had to respond to those who felt neglected with a, we always get this right, or with a, with a, a vitriol or anger. But instead, Lord, it seems like they they were able to balance out what was difficult with, with real solutions that helped to continue to allow the community to, where we end in this last verse, this, this multiplication of leadership that allowed the church to continue to grow and to develop and to be what you asked for it to be. I pray for each one of us that we would be people who make your priorities our priorities. I pray, Lord, that we would be people who choose to listen to your voice in our lives and that we would stand and be confident, not in ourselves, not in our capacity, but in our ability to be a conduit of your joy and your grace. I want to pray this morning, too, for those who have been discouraged by your church, some who've been hurt by your church, some who've been hurt by people who've declared themselves to be Christ followers. And I just pray for those who've used that as an excuse to justify staying away from the Lord that, that they're named after as Christ followers, the Lord that they are called to follow. Would you not allow us to use that as an excuse, but to allow ourselves to come and to say, Lord, I know that you love me. You know my needs more than anyone else. You care about me. And that I believe that you came to seek and to save that which was lost, of which I am the first and foremost that person, that I am lost, but Lord, I also humbly come before you and say that I want to be found in you. I'll pray against any excuses that might hold a person back. And I pray for those of us who've known that truth for a long time, that we uh, today, looking at the brokenness in the world around us, would be confident that we not only have access to that hope, but that we can give it generously. We love you, and as we turn our hearts to close out this service in worship, I ask that you would be honored and glorified in it as we praise your name together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.